Welcome to Practically Political and happy holidays. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield and happy holidays to y'all. We're excited to have you here. Great to have you here. All right, Carrie, as you would say, let's get right to it. With uh, the election of Raphael Warnock as the 51st Senator, the 118th Congress is finally set. And to put it uh, fairly, I think Republicans are a little disappointed at their performance in the midterms. Um, We can go through all the stats and how Biden did better than expected and Republicans did worse. But really, my question for you as someone who's a level-headed, pragmatic Republican, what candid advice would you give our party as the best in terms of the best way to move forward after, to put it mildly, a disappointing set of elections? Yeah, it was disappointing in Georgia. You know, I I think a big part of why conservatives lost and, you know, was that the, the, the game has changed since COVID when it comes to mail-in and Republicans are just, we're going to show up on election day and that's the only time we're going to vote. And it just puts them inherently behind. And that's a big part when you're talking about election week or election month, and now you're just going in election day, like there's just going to be this asymmetry and you're already fighting with one hand behind your back. Yeah. Walker was down by 200,000 votes that morning. I mean, how do you make that up, right? Yeah, it's a huge deficit. And so I I think rather than being in denial of where reality is today, that would be a big piece of advice is that you got you got to you got to pivot. I mean, that's and and, and Democrats played catch up because Republicans, you know, back in the 90s, they they were the pioneers when it came to direct mail and they were cutting edge in terms of reaching voters that way. And Democrats played catch up and then the Democrats were leading on the Web. Uh, and then, you know, Trump w- was leading on social media and, and going around the traditional media gatekeepers. And, you know, it's a ga- it's a game of ping pong. So I think looking at the long game, putting in perspective, that's part of my advice that I would give. Um, and also just focus on where are some areas where we could get some wins uh, in terms of overlap? Where can we find some agreement? Uh, you know, how, how can we encourage work? That's something that I think we we both agree on in terms of creating jobs. How can we, uh, you know, because liberals, they want to subsidize unemployment. Conservatives want to subsidize work, but Democrats in general like subsidies. So, so maybe there's some place there that we can we can work on in reforming the earned income tax credit, things like that, um, criminal justice reform. So I would focus on trying to get those wins. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that there are just at the state level, I would also recommend focusing at the state level. There are lots of things that can happen at the state level to push forward uh, momentum on things like pro-life, uh, things like uh, economic, op- you know, and it's the laboratory of states is fascinating to see how uh, the economic engines are happening in, in conservative states. And so just keep doing that. Well, I think, yeah, I agree with about early voting. And the funny thing was that I think those certain recent presidential candidate who crapped on early voting so much that it uh, encouraged a lot of his fellow party members not to vote, particularly in things like the Georgia runoff. So that's something to think about. But what about candidate quality? Do you think that's it? Because, you know, I think very realistically, we could have been talking about Senator Ducey in Arizona and Senator McCormick in Pennsylvania and Senator Collins in Georgia. Right. Uh, So how much of that do you think was a factor? And do you think maybe 
Because my theory is, again, my two cents is I think it was a combination of two things. It was a combination of people feeling that the, not the whole Republican Party, but the dominant MAGA wing particularly was too extreme on things like abortion, on a lot of stuff that was going on and on the election denialism and all that. So that was part one of it. And part two of it, Biden really did get a lot of stuff done. They passed a lot of bills. A lot of it was bipartisan. And so I think the American people thought, you know, geez, these people are extreme. The Democrats, I don't like Joe Biden, don't really approve of him that much, but they're, the party's getting stuff done. Some of this stuff like prescription drugs and other things really have a, has a direct effect on my life. A lot of the stuff is bipartisan, the CHIPS bill, the uh, veterans bill. So I think those were the, 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 main, the main factors as well. And, and, and again, it gets back to candidate quality. You know, if you run good candidates, I, I think Mitch McConnell was having nightmares about Richard Murdoch and Sharon Engel and, you know, Todd Akin and all these really fringe candidates that were nominated before that just were great in the primaries but couldn't win in the general. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, yeah, you, you want the best candidate for the state. Uh, and that isn't always going to be the best person in the primary. And being that forward looking is important. But I think that the 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 major driver, I would say, is the structural change in mail-in balloting that the Democrats are just excelling at. And that's and and, and uh, Biden is very unpopular and uh, his agenda is going to be blocked. So I think in, in many respects, this election was a referendum against his agenda because it's now going to be blocked because the House, he's going to be uh, dealing with investigations and he's also going to um, see a lot of his uh, things just you know, go by the wayside. And I, I think that that's good for worker productivity um, to stop uh, so much of this crazy spending um, and his, uh, you know, I believe executive overreach on student loans, total pandering. It's I believe it's illegal. Uh, the courts have put a stop to it. Um, those those sort of shenanigans, I think, are going to be stopped. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that uh, the question of candidate quality is important. But I, I, I think it's also important, though, and so, yes, maybe this is where we can both agree. Candidate quality is important. But then once once the voters have chosen in the primary, then you coalesce behind it and you and you do everything you can to get that person over the finish line. So I think it's a two part thing. I agree. But what was really fascinating was you look at a lot of these states. Right. And it turned out it wasn't just independents who were voting Democratic. It was actually some Republicans a fair amount of Republicans in states like Georgia who were turning out. I mean, look how well all Republicans in Georgia did, except Herschel Walker. All right. Great turnout. A lot of Republicans said, you know what? I can vote for Brian Kemp. I can vote for Brad Raffensperger, but I just can't vote for Herschel Walker. He is blatantly unqualified. And I think the, the and again, what I've heard from you is I've heard, yes, I've heard early voting, but I haven't heard some real introspection is, OK, maybe is the MAGA stuff too extreme? Uh, maybe do we have to take a look as a party and, and say, hey, is this not what the American people want? Is it time to move on? But the, but to me, the trends in voting, when you see Republicans turning out and voting for every Republican except Dr. Oz or except Herschel Walker or except Blake Masters, that is really telling, don't you think? 
Well, yeah, the, the ticket splitting, you, you saw that across the board where you had some on the Democrats, too, who were splitting for Republicans, too. So I, I think it's, yeah, that's something that to keep watching for, that ticket splitters. But let's move on to my question, which Yeah, is but it that- didn't affect, though, every, Democrat, every Democratic incumbent was reelected for the first time uh, since 1934 in a first midterm election. So it didn't seem to have the effect on the Democrat side, the Republican side. But anyway, go ahead. You're talking about the Senate, not the House. Yeah. Because yeah. lots of incumbents lost in the House. Yeah. But. All right. CBS News finally admitted that the Hunter Biden laptop was real. And that includes references to President Biden himself as the big guy getting a cut. And so this raises a lot of questions about how much President Biden was unethically involved in Hunter's shady business deals, which are being investigated by the feds right now. And the bigger problem here is how much the intelligence community colluded with Twitter and the national media to suppress the story. And it's important because a whopping 67 percent of registered voters, this is according to a Democrat pollster, Mark Penn, 67 percent of registered voters said they believe Hunter Biden selling access to his father is an impeachable offense for President Biden. Do you agree with those voters? Well, God, there's so much there's so much to, un- to unpack in there. Uh, well, first of all, when you say 67 percent of people believe it's an impeachable offense, that assumes a quid pro quo. You see, this is the thing in, in this. And this was true. Uh, and Hillary is, I think, a worse example than Hunter Biden. But the bottom line is, there's no proof that Joe Biden actually did something and was paid for doing something. That's where these questions are misleading. So, yes, I think this story is a big nothing burger, not because Hunter Biden. And I feel, look, I feel sorry for the guy. I've dealt with addiction. It's a brutal thing. And he doesn't have anything else for going for him right now than his, than his father's name. So obviously, if he gets hired on boards, they're going to pay him because he's a Biden. But I would say two things. First of all, I was saying he's a famous artist. He's got that going for him. Oh, that's right. Famous artist. Excuse me. I, I stand corrected. Thank you. But I would say two things. First of all, there's no there's no evidence of a quid pro quo, which would be an, an, an impeachable offense. And secondly, all this stuff happened before Joe Biden was president. Okay, I mean, if you want to really look, even Kellyanne Conway just recently came out and said what everyone knew, that if if there's anyone ever profiting from the family, it was Jared Kushner, who made hundreds of millions of dollars, including getting bailed out of his uh, bankrupt New York apartment building by the Qataris. So I think that's where you'd want to look. Going on to the part about Twitter and all the investigation, I would simply say, you know, I admire Elon Musk in a lot of ways. I don't know if he's the most reliable person to um, believe a lot of stuff. I mean, he was apparently admittedly on on acid when he said that the Saudis were investing 70 billion in Tesla, which proved to be, you know, absolute bull poop. And, you know, a lot of times with Twitter, and I'm not saying that some of this stuff wasn't concealed, but a lot of times they're trying to figure out, okay, what's a real story and what's a rumor? Where, you know, where do we draw the line? So should they have done more? Yes. But I think it's a little overblown to uh, go with Tucker Carlson's line. This is some huge conspiracy between the media and Twitter to suppress information. So, again, I think this Hunter Biden thing is is a big nothing burger. And if, you know, if Kevin McCarthy thinks that the American people 
want him to focus for the next two years on something happened uh, with some president's derelict son. By the way, Joe Biden is the poorest senator of all. The guy's not wealthy. You know, if he were worth hundreds of millions of dollars, that'd be one thing. It's a guy who took a train from from the Senate to work. So he's always been the poorest senator. So it, it just doesn't add up. But if I may take one second to say one thing, this is a perfect segue. Mr. President, please don't run for a second term. I've never implored a president to do anything on our show, but you're just not up to it. You haven't even finished two years yet, and you've already aged in two years. You can make it through four, but you are not in the physical shape to pledge to the country that you can serve until you're 86 years old. You just can't do it. Plus, even if you, you're hoping that Donald Trump is going to be facing you, or what if it's a younger candidate? Uh, voters may want change. Plus, second terms are always harder than first terms. And I can go on for for hours, but the and also, wouldn't you love to negate the Hunter Biden story? Because if you're not running, it's totally irrelevant. So please, please don't run. You're being irresponsible, and you're setting the party up for disaster. Okay, that's the end of my little sermon. Your thoughts? Is well, if that's your next question, I no, that's not. That's definitely not mine. I just want to give you the last word on this one. <laughs> Um, I I concur with that. I guess what's slightly terrifying, though, is who would he be replaced with? And yeah, I I don't know if we can get much worse. So yeah, it's uh, the just the most basic competence. I mean, it just seems like he's being controlled by very hard left forces that are farther left than who he at his core has been for his whole life. And I think that that's really sad to see someone being basically used as a puppet for an ideology that's much further to the left of what was, than what was in his heart as an individual for the vast majority of his political career. That's unfortunate. For example, in his early on, for most of his career, um, Joe Biden opposed uh, public funding for abortion. And he said that an abortion is a tragedy, that it's a, that it's a uh, something that we should be really trying to limit. And now he wants to have abortion up until the, the you know, the most extreme circumstances. And, and that's just one example of how he's been pulled so far to the left. And I think that's unfortunate. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that um, I'd rather have someone who's who's in full health and uh, the country deserves better. And by the way, I mean, I would say controlled is being a little dramatic. I think he's definitely been pulled to the left, but he's also gone to the center to pass some bipartisan legislation. But he certainly has been pulled to the left. But I would tell Democrats, don't worry. Who would have thought of Jimmy Carter at the end of 1974? Who would have thought of Bill Clinton at the end of 1990? Who would have thought of Barack Obama at the end of 2006? So don't despair. New people from the bench will always emerge. The one candidate I never heard mentioned I think would be great, Governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina. That's my dark horse, cho- my dark horse choice. Okay, on to my second question. Since Donald Trump's, uh, to put it mildly, very uninspiring uh, reintegration or relaunching of his campaign, which wasn't attended by anybody except, I think, a disgraced House member who was going to be leaving the House anyway. And people were trapped in. They weren't even allowed to leave. And since then, it's been, I'll tell you, it's been quite a few weeks from, from you know, defending the insurrectionists to 
hosting white nationalists and Nazi, Nazi sympathizers at Mar-a-Lago to saying that we should shred, shred the Constitution. So I guess my question is, it seems to me that the Republican Party is finally ready to move on from Donald Trump, but Donald Trump is not ready to move on from the Republican Party. So A, do you finally agree enough's enough and it's time to get some fresh blood in on your time, on your side in terms of being someone who's a MAGA person, I'm not. Uh, and um, how do you how do you extricate yourself from from Trump? Well, I uh, I'm going to be a broken record because I've said this so many times, David. It's not going to change. I just uh, yeah, I I I want whoever is going to be uh, the most conservative candidate in the general to win, and I don't know who that's going to be. And, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's more of the same in terms of the things that you just listed. So when when Trump says, you know, let's just shred the Constitution, that's a figure of speech. He's wow. saying that the Constitution was already shredded by this new evidence. And, and by the way, it's not just Elon Musk from Twitter who was saying this. Jack Dorsey admitted the same thing that Twitter suppressed this story. Uh, what's what's new is that we have the, the paperwork to back up what Jack Dorsey already said, the founder of Twitter, who's very liberal. So uh, it's a he's not actually he's saying the Constitution was already shredded. Right. By well, the I, you know, I've already commented on that one. So let's move on about that. But as far as Trump, because, again, what I'm hearing is, yes, you're going to vote for the you want the most conservative candidate. Well, that's great. But that may not be what the primary system gives us. We have to remember don't underestimate Donald Trump. And by the way, let me just say this. Everyone's talking about Ron DeSantis. People who know Ron DeSantis personally say he's he's almost borderline on the spectrum in terms of being someone who's very shy. He doesn't like people. He doesn't like campaigning. He's very green. OK, when when you look at some of the candidates like Scott Walker. Remember Scott Walker in 2016 was going to be the candidate and that didn't work out. So you literally have to think about um, Donald Trump is going to run a bus through Ron DeSantis in the debate. So I don't see how. And the more candidates that run, the more likely he is to get the nomination because it's going to split everyone. So how do you do this? Because he is not the nominee that the party wants. So how do you, I still haven't heard an answer from you. How do you move past Donald Trump? Because I think he's going to burn the house down before he goes on peacefully. I'm not going to endorse or unendorse in the primary. I'm just not my friend. And No, uh, I'm not saying that. I'm saying how do you move past someone? What do you do to, to, to move on to the next chapter? How do you stop him from burning down the house if he doesn't get the nomination? These are fair questions. I, w- I want what's best for the Republican Party. It's best for our system. I'm well, a Republican. Yeah, yeah. I will say if he if if for some reason he doesn't get it, I hope that he doesn't go into a third party race. I would be I would be disappointed about that. So, um, yeah, that's uh, so. But we'll see. I, I don't I don't think it'll get to that. But I I, I am out of the game of prognosticating on these things, especially. When All right, it comes but to- but you would acknowledge that you know it's getting worse and worse in terms of the stuff that's going on with the Nazi sympathizers and, and all this stuff, I, you know, and, and the derangement seems to be getting worse. And you, 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 don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't think it is or you're, you're no, comfortable? I, I, look, this guy, Trump didn't even know who he was. I'd never heard of him. He was a friend oh. of somebody who is mentally ill right now. And Kanye West 
it, it, he said some horrible things and he's not in a good place right now. But Nick and Fuentes, had, no one accused him of being mentally ill. He's I'm, the, saying, I'm saying the reason why Fuentes was there was because he was with Kanye and Kanye is a friend of Trump. That's why he was there. This, this Fuentes guy was not hand selected as someone known to Trump to come and have an exclusive one-on-one meal with him because he wanted to be a white, whatever. Like it's just, so that, that narrative, again, it happens in the media over and over. So it's a broken record of how the media wants to spin things that are just not true. But but this is so, well. For first of all, I, I would say one thing. In case you haven't know, have you ever noticed that when Donald Trump says he knows everything, he knows nothing. I know more about ISIS than the generals. And then when he says when he says he knows nothing, he knows everything. David Duke, I've never heard of the man. Who are you talking about? So for you to actually tell me with a straight face that Donald Trump had never heard of Nick Fuentes, first of all, is preposterous. Secondly, you're inviting people to dinner. It's a public setting. The word is going to go out. You were probably going to do a little homework. If I'm having someone over, I usually ask them, oh, you want to bring a guest? Who is it? Come on. Seriously? I agree. I agree. There should have been more vetting. So we're going to agree. Fair enough. Well, (laughs) sock it to me. Okay. Well, I want to talk about the the labor movement. And I the reason I was thinking about it, and I don't want to delve into the the reason I was thinking about it though was the the union strike with the the rails. But I just want to speak more broadly and get your thoughts because uh in 2020 the Trump campaign held a rally with some union workers and very close nearby at the same time, some union bosses from the same union were having an event for Biden. And it was just this one of those split screen moments where, wow, you have yeah, President Trump and the America First agenda, American First conservative movement. It's really tapped into a working class ethos. And then contrast that with, you know, look at the donations of union bosses and how liberal it is. Um, and I mean, do, do you think that that's something that the conservative movement should celebrate in terms of it's becoming more worker class focus. And if so, how would how would how should we continue it? Well, let me just say one thing and take a step back and say when we talk about unions, it's very important to make a big distinction. I am a huge supporter of public sector unions. They help create the middle class, they've given workers all kinds of benefits. I am and but what I'm totally opposed to is private is public sector unions, okay? Public employees should have never been allowed to unionize. FDR had this wisdom. It was JFK nationally and sadly in California, our twice elected Edmund G. Brown, who let that horse out of the barn. Because the main reason is that private sector unions, it's mutually assured destruction. The company goes out of business, everybody loses. Public sector unions, the government's not going out of business. Plus you have the fox watching the hen house, right? They're bribing the very people that are supposed to be regulating them. And that's why you have all these ridiculous pension over promises. But that's a conversation for another day. But to answer your question, you know, I think that, look, if, if and first of all, the unions, workers and and uh, management are, uh, if anything, management tends to be, be more behind Republicans. Workers tend to be more behind uh, Democrats. Now, there may be some exceptions like the police union, but overall, most uh, union unionized workers are st- solid Democrats. And when you talk about the Republican Party 
making inroads with rural uh, working uh, union voters. You're talking about working class voters, which are which are voters without a college degree. And I've said this before. The Democrats discarded these voters. This was their bread and butter. It was a terrible mistake. They're not focusing enough on getting them back because there's very little daylight between Trump voters and them on kitchen table issues. That's what they focused at in 2018. That's why they won. That's what they didn't focus on in 2020. That's why other than Joe Biden winning, it was not a very good election for them. So the writing's on the wall with, with what the Democrats need to do to get those to get those voters back. But I see no problem with different sectors of different corporations attending whatever functions they want to attend. Well, what what, uh, what I find troubling is that California wants to basically subsidize unions with taxpayer money. That to me is even a bigger red flag. Well, uh, well, that that's a very broad term. What do you mean specifically? Uh, a lot of states do that, but what what are you talking about now? They want to give t- special tax credits uh, to unions. And these unions then go around and donate to Democrats. So you're basically having taxpayers subsidize Democrat donations. Well, there's there's two issues. First of all, there's not the union workers. There's the unions themselves. And I agree that, that I think that there's a real issue that union members should have a right to decide when they join a union whether they want their dues used for political campaigns. That's a decision each worker should make. Unions should not make that. So I'm with you on that. Okay, but as far as special privileges go, that sounds like a un, individual union members don't get tax credits. You know, you, you can't deduct if you're a union member, you can't deduct a donation on your California taxes just because you're a union member that you couldn't deduct if you were another worker. So that's not true. So I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but I'm certainly willing to admit California as a California resident has way too many regulations. And I do think, again, as you see, you're seeing this extreme, this polarization in states where it's either too little or too much. And I do think in terms of as a small business owner, a lot of these laws like, you know, force family leave, I think people should be able to take care of a, of a loved one. But the law is written very broadly. So people don't necessarily have to give a reason. They can say, oh, I'm sick. So you have to pay me for X amount of time. I don't think that's right. So as usual, it seems like um, California and a lot of other liberal states are probably going a little bit too far off the deep end on this. I would certainly uh, agree with you on that. So well, we will- this, this is a brand new law that just passed in September that Newsom signed, and it will give a tax credit for union dues. So okay. well, there you have it. Yeah, a tax credit for, for, for union dues. Yeah, that, well, that's, that's different than, than making a... Uh, Contribution, but anyway, you and I we agree on the on the on the general principle, and I, and I did again. I don't think unions are helped by this. And again, you look at Calpers, right? You when you have a pension fund, you're paying out every year, so it's not like an IRA where you can rely on the magic of compound interest to give you a much greater annualized return. Any pension any pension manager will tell you more than four percent a year is unrealistic. CalPERS has been promising 8% a year. It's just insane. So again, it's a classic, the famous political saying, IBG, YBG, I'll be gone, 
and you'll be gone when the bill comes due. So on that wonderful, cheerful note, uh, I will really, really take the time to wish all of you the happiest holiday season. I hope you have a wonderful time with the ones that you love. And from all of us at the show, we look forward to seeing you uh, hopefully very soon. Till next time. Yeah.